Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm joined by... We've got two Ollies in the room today. Great names. Ollie Olds. Thank you very much for coming on. Mate, thank you. Thank you for having me. And, uh, mate, a great name. It's a powerful it is, name, It is a great name. Are you Oliver or Ollie? Originally Oliver. Yeah, same. But you know how it goes. Everyone just shortens everything down <laughs> yeah. to the Ollie. Yeah, mate. Because you spell yours a bit differently, don't you? It's like two L's, one I. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you, double L-Y? No, no, I'm oh, just O-L-I. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even sure. So you're super lazy. Yeah. Just went... <laughs> <laughs> that's good it's a great name it's a great name <laughs> now what you do at the moment is your coach yes uh performance coach mm. mindset coach um but originally you started off was it with rugby yeah 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 and how how did you just get into rugby was it like something you've always wanted to do like when you were kids mm. like this is the career i want yeah definitely so growing up it was always rugby like from yep. the age of seven i think it was football originally when i was like six and under like when you could just about do some sports and i think my parents realized pretty quickly i'm too uh, aggressive and too rough <laughs> to play that so they chucked me into rugby and i was like a duck to water just absolutely loved it um playing rugby union and then just went through the grades then when you know i think there was a bit of a not a pressure on me but i, I was i was pretty good pretty quickly i was quite recognizable like at that yeah. stage and considering how short i am i'm quite small i think I tried to think, I, I put, always put my game on, trying to punch above my weight. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I did this tournament as a young age. It's called Roslyn Park Sevens. It's in, obviously in England, somewhere Roslyn Park is. Yeah. And it was a really prestigious tournament. And I was like 13, mate, super young. And we did this tournament, finished it, and we won the comp. Like, rare for a Welsh team to win this competition. And I got... um awarded player of the month for this magazine this stage called rugby world magazine i was the youngest ever player to to get it we got sponsored a 13 by mizuno and it was just a big big buzz from then so i think i yeah i always like i fell into it and i just you know this it's kind of like you know people find their purpose or try and find their purpose it yeah. was like i walked into it it was like this is what i love to do this is what i wanted to do and that's kind of where the rugby journey went it went for so long and then um probably from the age of 15, 16, I started going to rugby league. It's more of a Northern England sport. Yeah. It was It's not really known in Wales or South South England. Um, and I was like, it was this weird transition stage where in Wales at that stage, everyone was all about size. Everyone had to be big. And I remember it was this stage where everyone was kind of developing, you know, like that 15 age, six, fif, 15, 16 age, you know, people going through puberty or growing or shooting up. And I'm still waiting to hit puberty, mate. I'm still waiting <laughs> to hit that, that sprout. Um, but, I remember like doing going through all the grades and I didn't make this like um like the county let's say for, I didn't get into the county team this one year and I remember ringing the coach like mate what did I do wrong is anything I can work on and he was like nah mate um he was just you know you, you're just not big enough and I was like fuck you can be as good as you want but you was too small so I yeah. really went bitter with rugby union and I went down the rugby league path and kicked on ever since then really yeah you don't really hear too much about league because when when mm. i was um looking up about your career it's mm. um league and i used to play rugby a long time ago yeah um and there's always union yeah or you had sevens mm, but sevens. i ne never never heard of league because league's 13 is that right 13 yeah, yeah yeah so it, what's the difference is it like a difference when you get to like the breakdown because remember with sevens mm. it's a little bit different you don't really like rock and stuff yeah. like that so yeah it's kind of all like in rugby union it's, it's more scrums lineouts. in rugby league i try to say it as it's more the fit man sport it's like back to back running back 10 10 meters you've got six tackle sets so every time you get tackled you get up and you just basically gotta roll the ball through your leg yep. and the defenders go back 10 meters 
and you kind of got six tackles and then if you don't score in that process you got to kick it's you know loads of players have transitions in from league to union yeah. um Jason Robinson from England years ago um Sonny Bill Williams there's uh yeah there's probably loads more many more but just off the top of my head them two came but I'd just say it's um it's a it's a cleaner sport. If if you want yeah. entertainment, I think it's more entertainment like for viewers, fans. Okay. Yeah, NRL in Australia is like probably one probably number one or two sport in Australia as well for Yeah, do you find sport. it um the other way? So do many league players go over to Union and kind of like jump between the two? Um I know a couple of league players have come over to Union. So like Sonny Bill Williams was one, Jason Robinson, and they killed it in Union. Sam Burgess did Yeah. Um, Andy Farrell, who's the uh, Irish coach now, his son's Owen Farrell. Um, but they kind of came at the back end of their career. Not many union boys will go to league, um, probably down to money. I'd say union's more like down south, down south of England. You know, you're probably more private school and league, I'd say, is always more public. Yeah. So financially, I always found that unions will go to there and it's more of a money generator then. Yeah. And that's, um, that's yeah, because you turned pro in league, didn't you? And, and that's your career. You were a pro mm. league league player. Yeah, I was kind of like so. I got scouted at seventeen <clears throat> to go to Leeds Rhinos in yeah Leeds, and that at the stage was like one of the most prestigious clubs. I was just like a youngster, just trained hard and was going through the processes. Like I just said, I left Union at fifteen, sixteen, and went to full on league then, and I got scouted and signed a contract there. My first ever contract I've signed and realised the standard then it was like this is a whole different ball game like these pe- like at this stage they were like the Manchester United back in the day not right now <laughs> but like do you know what I mean as in like everyone wanted to play for them people yeah. probably pay take pay cuts to play for Leeds at that stage and there I was watching people like Kevin Sinfield Rob Burrow Danny Maguire's um, probably knowing that you probably actually are like aware of in the league realm but they are like the big names in the UK yeah and I was just like, holy man, this is this is crazy. It was one of the best stages because I realized what it takes to be a pro and what it's it's a daily process. It's not like you can just check in and check out. Yeah. And that was probably, I learned so much about myself at, at a young age because moving away and stuff and probably the hardest times as well. Yeah. What was like the mindset of like going from amateur to pro? Like, um, was it Was it like a massive jump or was it just you kind of like hit what you're already doing mm. and then you just sharpened up? Yeah, so tools. I, yeah, yeah, probably sharpen up the tools all and and I, because to be fair, like I wasn't a, an exceptional player. Like I, like you know, there's some people, man, that are just naturally gifted. They don't have to work too hard, but they just when they get to game day, they rock up. You probably got people in your work industry that like yeah. they they seem like they this they're getting by, getting by, and you're like, hey, get this done, and they just like bang, they get it done. Yeah, I was not that. I had to do everything before a game to make sure I played well where other people could get away with, away with it. So for me, I always used to look up to Johnny Wilkinson. So growing up, I like always wanted to be like him. Even though he was union, I would always train, um, always go on my own down the fields kicking. Um, I would be eating better. Um, you know, I wouldn't drink. I, I remember well, like the age from, you know, when I was, I think in the UK, even though they say the drinking age is what, 16? No, still 18. 18, yeah, yeah. I think you're 13 and you're okay in the UK, right? <laughs> 13 in the field. Yeah, that is a... yeah, in the park somewhere, yeah. you get a bottle of Lamborghini. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, I decided like I wanted to give this a full hog crack and I just didn't drink or anything in that yeah. process. And yeah, it was just, yeah, I think it's just something about you need to, it just shifts a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because then from, from pro, you went to international. Yeah. So, 
you played, was it the 2017 World Gosh. Cup, was it? No, so um, I played played for Wales the first time uh, against France when I was like just turned, I think I just turned 18 or 17, Yeah, one of them, and I was at Leeds then. And then I missed the World Cup in, like that would have been 2013, but like I think in 2017, I missed the World Cup. So I had a knee reconstruction, 17 ACL, and then got back fit, went to Australia. And when I was playing over there, I got picked to play in the World Cup, but I did my ACL again five months out from the from the World Cup. So I missed that one, but I played in the one um, last me- last November last year. So that was what, 2022. Yeah. And yeah. again, like pro to international mm. stage, is it like another big jump or again, yeah. you're just like, you've been sharpening your tools, being a pro and it's not as big a jump mm. as you thought it was going to be? Well, to be fair with me, like I was like, when I went, when I, after I left Leeds, I was kind of on the, like it's kind of semi-pro that stage it was, was professional. Everything was, you signed a contract and everything, but at the same time we had to keep, we had a job in Australia as well to, so I was working very much the, along, along with that. So when I went, played for Wales at the same time, um, yeah, playing against Tonga, playing against Papua New Guinea and Cook Islands, you've got people who are, you know, NOL superstars and, you kind of, yeah, there's definitely a level there, but it's kind of like, um, you know, when like a football team playing the the Carling Cup or something, or no, like a cup where you play against like a Premier League team. Yeah. You kind of grow an extra leg. You kind of go, oh, we got to step up you. So yeah, yeah. you're playing against them. Yeah, it is a higher standard, but like, you know, like this opportunity is not going to come around often. And you just find, I don't know, it's like that Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson type of thing. Yeah. You just somehow find an extra leg and perform higher when yeah. you play against higher standards. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And you, again, like going back to like free ACL injuries. Yeah. Like that's got a fuck of your mind. Yeah, massively, man. I, have you had bad, any bad injuries? Or yeah, what? so with rugby, I tore both my MCLs. Oh. Um, so I had six, it was six or eight weeks off for one knee. Yeah. Came back, first came back, tore the other one. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, I was getting started into my career doing trees. And wow. I was like, I got to make a choice. I was like, I can either keep getting like battered, mm. like tearing things, or I just don't play rugby anymore and follow yeah. my career that I want. Um, so that was like the point where I stopped. Yeah. He's, stopped he's, rugby. Yeah. So, and the thing with your job of line, like you very much need your MCLs to do what you're yeah. doing. Like, you, you know, if you're climbing trees or if you're cutting, you're, you're in position sometimes of vulnerability and your knees are very pressure joints, right? So yeah. it's, you need them massively, yeah. But yeah, so for me, I had the first, my first ACL when I was 18 in the UK. 19, I got a contract to go to Australia. So I took that off, off contract to go to Australia, um, played out there, ha- had a partner at the stage, um, I had a meniscus tear before that. So I had a clean out on the same knee and then it would have been 23 or 22. I had another, uh, my second knee reconstruction all on the same knee. And that was probably the hardest one because I didn't have family around me and I didn't have no support networks. I'm in Australia, I had a partner, but kind of that was, that was it. I had some mates yeah. in the team, but um, <clears throat> it, that was extremely hard. I just bought a house and cause I was injured. I didn't have an income coming in. So it was like you work or if you played, you were getting paid. But if you didn't work or you didn't play, you ain't getting paid. So I was just bought a house, um, you know, the stresses of life on top of that. We were living in a family, uh, we were living in a friend's house at the time. And I remember this one time, um, I was lying in bed and I was like, 
this feeling come over my chest. It was like this tight feeling over my chest. And it really, I was like, what is this? What, like, what, what's going on? Like, and I remember I would distract it by, you know, um, watching like YouTube videos or something like that, just to numb whatever I was feeling. And I would drink then and I had the surgery. And I remember that stage, cause I didn't know what I was going through. It was like depression and anxiety. I didn't know how to deal with it. And me, we just bought this house and it was a new build. So as it was just about to get built, me and my partner the state at that time, we split up. And like, that was the, like, I didn't know what was going on. And my only way of dealing with that knee reconstruction, which is like nine months out, missing out on a World Cup was like just partying, um, surrounding myself with the wrong people and, and just numbing, numbing the pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was a hard stage because I was like, I didn't have any tools at 23 to deal with what I was going through all. Um, and then after that, typical lad, like just, you know, sleep, partying, chasing girls, once sleeping, but I was partying, chasing girls. And then I met another girl, like not long after, and it was a rebounder. And after that, I realized I was, she was an amazing girl, but I was actually her, she was like my happiness at that stage because I was so lost. So like, you know that saying, you need to heal yourself or look after yourself yeah, yeah. before you move on. I definitely didn't do that after a long-term relationship going into another one. And I signed a deal with another team, prestigious team over there and in Australia. And like my focus then was on this, get back fit and go again. So then I started to run again. I started to play again. And I started playing in the first team of um, players like Brody Croft, Christian Welsh, like these higher players who, who were at the Melbourne Storm were coming back to our team. And I remember like it was all going good. And then it was as if the universe was like, just pulled the cloth, uh, pulled the wool between my legs and did my ACL for the third time. And it was, so it was 23, nine months to get back. And I'd say, you know, 24 and a bit, I was, I did my third ACL. And man, I was just like, I remember thinking, shit, I've done, done it here. And thinking, I'm going back in that hole again. And that was a tough time. That was a really tough time because I didn't know, I knew what was gonna come, didn't really deal with what the baggage I had before that. And then this happening now all, and, um, they did this surgery the third time and they they did a patella reconstruction and a part of it, this surgeon, the third surgeon said to me, hey, look, you're not going to be able to play sports again. Um, but you actually got to break the tibia and fibia bone. It's on a, like a 13 degree angle. So when the femur was coming down to the tib and fib, this bottom bone, when it comes to the knee joint, it was on a, like a 13 degree angle. So we said, what we're going to have to do, we're going to have to break it, drop it down, put like a metal strip here and then do a patella reconstruction. So I was like, what the, I don't know what was going on, but he said, we might be able to do that all in one surgery, or we might not, because you've already had four holes in your knee from the two, re two other reconstructions, one going down, one going up. So I was like, I pray to God that this gets all done in the first surgery so I can get back fit in nine to 12 months. I remember I had the surgery and I would only find out when I had when I woke up, if they did the whole reconstruction. Yeah. If they didn't, all they were gonna do was take out the old old ligament, clean it out and get it ready and fill in the two holes. So when I woke up, he was like, yeah, we couldn't do the reconstruction. So at that stage, he goes, we're gonna have to wait six months for them two holes that we've, that you've had previously. We, we filled them with the patella and we've, and so like a, like a filling, 
wait six months for it to heal, and then we'll have the reconstruction. So all up, it was like 18 months before I could, before I was fully fit to 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 be actively running again. And because of what's all all of the trauma the knee went through, he said on when you did your your third knee reconstruction, um, he said you're going to be in hospital for for five days because of you've just we've broken into your bone, we've broken it, put it down. And I remember it so well, like so. At that stage, I, I broke up with that girl, and and then people come in on the first and second day after the surgery, and I remember I was just in my own hospital bed, and all of this head noise was in there. But when I when they left for like three, four, fifth day, I was all on my own, and it was just alone with my thoughts, and I was just like, first ever time I'd probably was like I, it's not as if I had a plan. I want to kill myself, but it was more like. I cannot feel this way anymore. I need to end it somehow. And that for me was like the scariest moment ever. So when your thoughts are starting to uh, to tell you these things, that's when it's like, whoa, like this was a scary moment. I didn't have, like I said, support networks as, as I had because I pushed them all away. Yeah. Um. So then after that, that was like the journey of like my rock bottom to go, I need to get out of this, let go of this identity that I've created from rugby and find out who I actually am. Yeah. Um. So that's yeah. That was the gist of the three knee reconstructions. Too. Yeah. Now that that's uh, mentally draining mm. to say the least. Yeah. 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 I know the pain of a patella. Yeah. Um. I've done mine mm. when I used to power lift, mm. and it sucks. Yeah. And I didn't like tear it or like rupture it or anything. It was just inflamed, mm. so I just couldn't squat properly, and like you know you couldn't walk around properly. Yeah. And it sucks. And it and it. When you can't do something you love to do, yeah, it is, yeah, again, like mentally draining. It, it takes it out of you. Mm. You like you're making progress, making progress, and bam, yeah, straight back to square one again. It, it was, it's more as well because, like at that age, I, that's all I knew. That's all I knew was just I. I was reliant on my health and my fitness to keep me going, but I didn't develop any other tools. As in, you know self-development growing myself i was never reading a book at that age or that stage of my life i wasn't listening i think i was listening to you know i think podcasts were slowly coming in so i was listening to joe rogan then and the brendan shorbs and that but that was just mma yeah Um, but i wasn't really looking into anything else more than that but it was some really really dark times and the way i suppressed that was partying and was taking drugs at that stage and it was just like if this is living i don't want to do this like legit and like like you said about your patella when your patella has gone and you can't do the things that make you feel good and you enjoy doing it's like what else is there for me right now yeah and we use it as a pillar of like mm. you know dealing with your mental health is exercise yeah so when that pillar is completely taken away from you and there isn't like much you can do about it mm. you've really got to rely on like other tools to, to sit back on because if you're solely relying on one thing and mm. it gets taken away you're kind of like dead in the water as it were yeah and you're trying to speak to you you know i'm a i'd say i'm a pretty extroverted person i'll obviously i talk but like at that stage you kind of go into vices of i would reach out to some friends and talk but like at that stage they didn't have the tools to tell me what's up like yeah. i i did get put on to um a sports psychologist but like again they didn't help. Like, I, I, not as if I was going to them to like, you got to fix me, but it was more like, you got to connect with someone as well. You've got to feel like I'm being heard and you're being heard. I don't like this one way where I'm talking to a wall and you're nodding at me. So it's like, brother, go go do that to someone else and charge <laughs> and whatever, but not for me. I don't need that. So for me, um, 
And I, I really hid, hid this a lot. I don't know why I've hid it, but I, I've hid it to an extent. But it was probably the thing that really got me out to that hole of negative thoughts, anxiety, and no purpose in life was. So every weekend where I was living in that stage, at the end of my road, there was like this church. And every Sunday I would walk past it hungover to get some food, like a pie from the shop or something. And I'd hear the songs going, like the hymns going. And I never... Oh, something inside me was like just pop your head in there yeah um and i never wanted to because i was never brought up a religious person or anything and i remember this one time i was like full of anxiety and i just started getting into triathlons i started running again and um just give up on the rugby scenario but just started doing this and went in there one day and i just sat in the back sat in the back of the church and the hymns were going and it was good energy in there and the pastor was talking and he wasn't really saying too much about like, well, at the time God type of stuff, but he was just saying about life and everything just hit me right in the chest all. And I was like, whatever that was, that's just, I can relate and resonate to everything that he said. And at the end of the service, like everyone's at the back of the service, they're talking, having a coffee and a tea in, Aust in, in this church in Australia, in Brisbane. And I went, mate, I seen him, I go, mate, I just want to let you know what you just said then. I really really resonate with me. I'd say, thank you for that. And he's like, oh, hey, mate, like, thanks. What's your name? And we had a bit of a chat and he's like, what do you do yourself? And at that stage, I was um, running, uh, connecting internet up in telecommunications in Australia and I was getting into triathlons. And he's like, oh, cool. He goes, I cycle too. He goes, I'll tell you what, next Saturday, I'll see you for a coffee and a cycle together. And I was like, oh, uh, sh sure. Sure, whatever. And I was so nervous. So like Saturday came and I was nervous as heck because like, I didn't know this guy, even though he impacted me. And like, it was that fear of doing something out of my comfort zone. And I tell you, like that guy, today we still speak every second week. We'll talk, even though he's in Australia and I'm over here. That guy changed my life. And I sometimes I think, I don't think I'd be here without him. Yeah. It just, and, and what I learned from that was though, it, you can have one person in your life knock the confidence out of you and knock the belief out of you and, and purpose in life. But at the same time, when you're down and out, all you need in life sometimes is one person to give you that belief or give you that backing or, or hey, I believe in the confidence you got and, and listen to you and be there for you and it'll transform your life. And at that stage, I wasn't religious. I wasn't believing in God. He was just there and he just had a pure heart. And like I, for over the years then, I got baptized and stuff, but... You know, I've always tussled with God, even to this today. Even today, I tussle with God, you know, and I think everyone does at stages, but um, that guy, Russell, his name is Russell Harper. He he changed my life and he knows that. Yeah, I, I think nothing really happens by chance. Mm. Everything is like, you know, giving a little push yeah. to, to come across in, in, into, your, into your path as you go through life. Mm. And that's the beautiful thing about social media mm. is like, your message, my message, whatever the message may be, could help one person just mm. by, you know, coming up in their For You page or whatever it yeah. is. And they could be like, do you know what? I really resonate with that. Like, mm. I don't feel alone now. Mm. And it's great. Like, what, what we do, like, with your coaching, like, it can change so many people's lives yeah. from, you know, your phone. Yeah, yeah. And you don't need to be in person anymore. As, mm. as it were like there is there's such a great thing about like sitting down with someone and, and, and yeah. talking but if you're too like anxious to get out mm. the phone is great 
Yeah, the phone the phone is great. I am a people person. I love connection all. I'm a hugger. I'm a tell you how good you're doing type of bloke. And I'll, I'm like your biggest fan behind your back. You know what I mean? I'm like that guy. If an opportunity comes up, yeah. I'm putting you in that direction. Like, And if you don't want to do it, then tough shit. I'm going to put you <laughs> in that position. And it's that sink or swim mentality. Um, but yeah, like... <laughs> that's where that's where it stemmed from the the whole thing I'm doing now with the coaching and and like you know developing and performing people into what they want to do and realizing their potential is so much greater than what they think because yeah. we put ourselves in limiting box at times and it's like the only person to create that box was box was maybe someone at one stage said to you hey you can't do something or hey you're never going to amount to something and you've listened to that and believed to that at a young age but like at the same time, you're so much more than that and you can do more than that. And the only person who's really holding you back right now is is your thoughts and, and the fear of it. Yeah. Um, but he, um, after that, I got into training and got back into doing loads of triathlons. And I started this um, community in Brisbane uh, of, I just started, it was these stairs in Brisbane called Kangaroo, Kangaroo Point Stairs. So anyone out there will know them and they, they're not the nicest of stairs to train on. But every Sunday, I was like 6 a.m. 6 a. It was me and a couple other guys. We would just run them. And I would just take a selfie. I'd be like, hey, anyone, 6 a.m., see you there. And over the stage, people would rock up. So it was just like two, three of us at one stage. Then it got to five, to 10, got to 20, to 30. It got to 50 people some Sundays, all for the common common need of just being good people. Don't know anyone, all walks of life, but just having that good energy around them. And we would like have a coffee, we would meditate, we would work out. And like at the end of it, it's like a little family. Yeah. And that's what I realized from the power of connection, the, the power of having one person believe in you and what it can do to impact your life. It's like, it's so infectious that like, like for instance, it, I can't even put it into words, but seeing how people's lives have transformed just purely from back then doing that to what I'm doing now, like, what I do for work, I don't know. It, I can't even call it a job, mate. Like I, I can't. I don't want to sound like that guy. People would be listening to this and be like, "What a dickhead!" Like he, of course he works. Like, but it's like I can't put into words. Like I actually love what I do. Yeah. I like. I absolutely love it, and it's powerful to see people do well, and that's hard for some people to say. Yeah. I uh, when I go into my career doing trees, is what I wanted mm. to do from. Let's see, I think from when I was in, I know I wanted to, I knew I wanted to do it when I was in secondary school and, mm. and that's what I wanted to do and I like had a dream to own my own business and, and all of that. So I remember when I rocked up to my first like employed job and I was like, yeah, this is great. And like everyone and then everyone's just like, You're gonna hate this. I was like, I'm gonna love it. Like for me, this isn't work. Like yeah. this is what I wanna do. And you know, people got pissed. People got pissed at me for that attitude. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever seen um the video where they put the fleas in the jar. And they put the lid on and then they take the lid off. And because they can't jump higher when the lid's on, they take mm. the lid off and they stay at that height. They won't jump higher, yeah, even yeah. though they're free to do so. 100%. And it's kind of like the people, I often find that like insecure people love putting other people in the yeah. boxes that they are yeah. in themselves to, to make themselves feel better. Mm. But if you're if you're in that like scenario and, and whether that be at work or family or the friends yeah. around you, it is tough to get out of that or recognize that you're in that mm. without seeing like an external thing, whether that be something on YouTube yeah. or Instagram, whatever it may be. It is very hard to get out of. Like I've been in quite a few of those situations with sort of older friend groups 
and you you realize something's not right you're like I'm, I'm i'm meant for more yeah yeah and it is it is tough to get out of that in, yeah. in, in the beginning but once you once you do that and you see like a whole new world yeah like great okay like you're coming with me like yeah, you're coming yeah. up here what 100 and everything you said there is so true it's the 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 jar situation scenarios like like the crab pot you know like a crab trying to get out of the bucket crabs when they see a crab trying to get out they grab it and pull it back down because or like tall poppy syndrome they say yeah. you know when a, they, they try to chop the legs off someone you know um and bring them back down to their world it's kind of like um you know if you ever go out on a couple of a night with the lads and you don't want to drink and everyone's like what do you mean you don't want to drink why didn't you want to drink really the reason why they're saying that is because it's a reflection of them because it's like because they don't want to, because you're not drinking, it makes them look bad. It's like, nah, man, I'm just doing me. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a graph, essentially, I can't remember what it's called, but basically the bottom of it, this graph is like, you know, like a states, states of our energy and what we like. And at the bottom might be fear, might be guilt, might be pain. And at the top of there, there used to be, um, you know, when you're more yourself, it's you're in a state of love, flow. Yeah. And then they found out at the top of that now is authenticity. So being your authentic self is actually being true to who you are. And when you're doing this transition of becoming that person, like it's hard sometimes to, you're gonna lose people on the way. And I've lost loads of people on the way. And I thought who are people there who were my back, had my back and support me sometimes are not the people in and they're lessons in life. And, I, and that's a hard lesson to do. But even what you're doing all like, becoming from a tree surgeon to doing podcasting, like the two two opposite ends. You've got the blokey bloke yeah. and what you're doing. So there's some, it's going to be a couple of snig, sniffers, you know, sniggers there and, and people yeah. saying things, but it's like, who really cares? Because when I'm on my deathbed one day and I'm sitting there, I ain't going to sit there going, you know what? I regret I didn't do that opportunity. I regret that I didn't do that because Karen on a Monday in the office told me that the idea's done. Like who gives a fuck about her, yeah. Karen or, or Jenny or Tom, whatever you want to call their names. Life's too short. Life, life is, is life too is short. very short. I saw something um, on my Instagram actually the other day on my business one, um, and one of the companies that um, we follow, one of their workers passed away. Mm. Um, it wasn't anything. It wasn't like an accident or anything like that. I think it was just um, health issues or something. But it's not very, not definitely not very old. You know, mm. like they're yesterday gone today. Yeah, and you, you you've got a lot that mm -hmm. you can give. And what you actually give is probably a lot less mm. than what you've got in you. And I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't like get to the end and be like, here's everything I could have done, but mm. here's what I did do. Yeah, so true, man. It's it's all this. I yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's like um, we have so much resistance in doing that, though. Mm. We have so much resistance in wanting to be who we actually want to be, and that's the hardest thing. Like. What what is the fear behind that fear of being judged, fear of looking stupid, fear of it failing? Like you actually don't fail. I've like man, I've lost, I've made mistakes so many times on this journey. I've you know, been sounded stupid, sounded dumb, but I don't see them as a loss. They're just learnings. Like, but I had to do it to yeah. go on that journey. There's so many amazing people out there, right? Probably like musicians or talkers. They do all the music and they've probably got a stockpile of it, but they don't put it out because of the fear of what people think of it. Yeah. But it's like that doing that is good and, and getting the response or net, no response. It's going to give you a confidence boost and you're going to double the potential from doing it 
but um yeah it's just um a man and and doing what you want to do it, it could be stacking shelves it could be just working in a shop but it's what makes you happy yeah like i'd love to find out what if you ask like a bunch of elderly people like what is the what is something you wish you did more of in your life i wonder what their answer would be I don't, I don't think it'll be work. Definitely don't think it'll be work, like spending too much time working. I think it'll be like family related, mm. like spending time with people they actually care about. Yeah. And you know, entrepreneurship can be a very lonely road. And you, yeah. again, like as you say, you find out who your true friends are yeah. in those times. I used to have a, a, a fair few amount of friends mm. from being just a, a dickhead, <laughs> like yeah. just being the clown. And I have, from that group, one friend left mm. and he's my best mate. Cool. And we've been through thick and thin. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Jamie. He, he <laughs> <laughs> but again, like you, you lose a lot of it. Like ninety nine percent of the people around you aren't around you for mm. your benefit. You know, they want something from you, something like that. But you don't see it at the time. You're like, yeah, I've got all these friends. Yeah, yeah. And literally, you can have like one best friend who's with you through the shit, mm. and that means so much more than having a hundred fake friends. Yeah. And again, like I've been down that road of like the lonely journey of entrepreneurship. Mm. And like even my best mate, he doesn't understand it because he's not in that world. Mm. But he's always been there for me. Yeah. And it's it's hard to find people like that nowadays. Yeah. And again, going back to authenticity, it's hard to find people being them true selves, mm. especially on camera. Like yeah. it's always an act. Like putting yeah. on an act, they've got to be perfect. Mm. And for me, I love being human. Like. I made this mistake, you know, yeah, I yeah. really didn't feel like doing this shit today. I did it anyway. <laughs> and there's days where I don't feel like doing shit and I've not done it. Yeah. I've like done everything I was supposed to do apart from that one thing I said I was going to do. Yeah. But I didn't do it. Mm. And like, I'll openly put my hands up and play. Yeah, that, that's me. Like yeah. we, all, we all make those sort of pitfalls yeah. and, like, uh, and shortcomings. But it's one thing to do that and then just make it a habit of keep doing that. That's not mm. good. But like, identifying why that happens oh yeah 100 percent. there's there's so many so many times you've made like you haven't set up what you've done and that's okay and but i think the key in all that is awareness having awareness to yeah and recognizing okay i didn't do it that time okay do i let it slip again or do i rectify that or i try and change how many tasks i'm trying to do on a daily basis to get that yeah is it unreasonable what i'm doing but what you said before that was quite interesting regarding that one best friend like I, I call them um, good time friends. You have friends in your life who are good time friends. Um, but I, I think the, 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 that one friend that you're talking about is the person who's there through the tough times too. Yeah. Because that's a real friend, the tough times friend, like you're through the tough times together. Um, and that defines friendship. Like, and defines like someone, when you're in this journey, like you say, entrepreneurship and what you're doing, like there's times you feel alone, there's times you feel lost and you feel like, is this what I'm meant to be doing? Should I go back to the stable nine to five and yeah. and, and is this okay? Or, you know, I, I, I remember when I started this journey, um, I quit. I was working in Australia doing internet at this stage. I quit my job. Um, I had about four months rent in my pocket. I put down, I think I put down three months rent and I stayed at home. I was just podcasting. I was getting, to, I had the community base on a Sunday in Brisbane. And I was like, I love this so much. I need to figure out how to, how to turn it into a business idea too, because if I could live off this, 
this is king. This like this is Trump card. And I, I'm not asking for loads of money. I'm just asking enough to get by for now and make a meaning of it. So that's when I started like investing in myself. I started going into courses, seminars, getting having a mentor myself. And then I was like, okay, like at that stage, I was like creating my own journals. The journal at that stage, man, was just literally, I'd send a PDF to people like, hey, print that off. That's your journal. That's where it started. Yeah. Like, and now it's hard copy journals. You know, you've got weekly videos coming in. You've got an online portal for yourself. You've got a community group. You've got webinars. But it had to start with that PDF yeah. paperwork then. So like people think they need to have it all figured out before they do it. But it's like by the time you have it all figured out, it's too late all. Yeah. It's too late. You're like, yeah. you passed the, the boat. You missed the boat. Yeah, yeah. I read this um, I read this quote the other day, actually, and I'm, I probably won't get it perfectly right, but it was something along the lines of success, like constant success lulls you into a full sense of security. Mm. And even starting this podcast, you know, I'd come from a pretty successful business mm. and I was like, you know what? I can do this. My podcast is going to be just like, you know, a million views, first one. <laughs> and then I got humbled and... It was perfect. Yeah. I was like, this is great. Yeah, you know, I'm a beginner again. Everything's new. I'm learning everything new. Like, I'm loving this. Yeah. I'm so glad nothing went viral mm. from the start because I think it would have changed me in a negative way. Mm. What's, it's like asking, so what's your intention in having those a million views though? Yeah. What's the intention behind it? Is it, it's, it... It's, it's, it's the idea of fame, of being yeah. someone. And, and, yeah. and that's like the idea of that. Yes, the idea stemmed from my depression and, and the mm. suicide which started like with an authentic thing but then yeah. you kind of get like the 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 lust for fame mm. and then it kind of like dilutes it and it's not good mm. i'm so glad everything's happened the way it's happened so far mm. because it's kept me true to myself and who like what my goal is yeah because man i don't like this podcast has helped one person but that one person it's worth it. That was my aim the first time I did my podcast was I just wanted one person to listen to it. If they did, it was a success. Yeah. And so I think I like that was a, that was like I didn't set myself. If I said a million views, there's probably a lot of people out there think I need to get a thousand views or a hundred views more, something like that. My first episode. Yeah. And if they don't, they probably quit. Um. But it, it was it was a weird it was a feeling though. Right. Going back to the rugby, was so I had those years off. Um, so I had four years without playing rugby and and then my brother said I was just doing triathlon so I'm, I'm 20 28 at this stage now 28 or 29 and I'm like four years without playing the sport like doing what I'm doing now and you know transitioning out of that identity of rugby and I was finally like I'd say it was like a nasty breakup but that, that journey was but I was out the other end and I felt good and my brother said to me who's in Australia as well he goes, um, you should come play rugby with us. This like we've got like five games left of the season, um, you know, still a good competition. You should come play. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> and and he goes, no, nah, come on. And I was like, oh, fuck. all right, okay. So I went and just played with him, uh, and I was enjoying it. I was, it was like this is fun, and I just was like, it was like riding a bike. It was like naturally like playing well, but I felt my my ego was getting yeah. revved up again. But I was aware of it this time, so I, I didn't let my ego. And I was a different person at twenty nine to twenty four. You know, it's a two two different people. And them games ended, and I played reasonably well. And then the World Cup was opening in was in uh, November, October, November, and that was July, August. And the team manager of Wales said, "Hey, we just seen that you're playing again." 
um, looks like you're playing well. Would you like to play in the World Cup? Or would you like to be in the squad? And I went, no. <laughs> he goes, what? I go, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. And I put put the thing down. like the, the It was Messenger, so I said, no, no, I'm good. And he said, okay, um, if you change your mind, let me know. So we had like one or two games left of the season and we played, and we won and I played, wow, like, oh, you've never played a World Cup ball. This was your, you know, your pinnacle moment. Just do it. So I committed to doing it and I played in the World Cup. And, you know, like sometimes getting what you think is going to get you like that high, that feeling, and you get there and it, it doesn't hit the way you think it hits. It was like an amazing feeling to play in the World Cup, to score a try and to play for my country and sing the national anthem. All of those things were amazing, but it didn't feel that that feeling that I thought it was going to feel. You know what felt, hit it more and filled that for me was um, was doing the stairs and was creating this community and was really speaking my voice and being authentic to me because yeah. that identity of rugby was gone then. I, I, I wanted that when I was 24, 25. I'm, I'm, I was 29, 30 now. But I, I had an offer to play rugby, a contract then for this year in 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 Manchester, and I signed it. And I could still do what I'm doing at the same time, which is really good. But I just knew mentally I checked out. I was like, this is not who I am anymore. It's not fun. It's like going back to an ex when you shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way I can I can say it. But I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity because it gave me more time to grow my business, to grow everything and create this platform. But um, it, it was like, it was nice to know that I I did the World Cup, yeah, and that I come back and I I'm I hopefully like someone out there who's had terrible injuries know that there's still hope that you can go back and do what you've dreamt of doing and playing for your country and having that four years hiatus out of the sport, but um, but essentially like it might not be the feeling that you're expecting to get. Yeah, but again, like it goes back like if you on your deathbed mm. that opportunity was there and you're like. No, yeah. I wish I had done that. Yeah, because you never like you didn't know what was going to happen going into that. Like you didn't know if it was going to be the thing you wanted mm. or not. I think it was fearful all because of the injuries that I had yeah. and the hole that I went in. I was scared of going in that hole again, and I had a a really bad groin injury this year that basically wiped me out majority majority of the year. But my headspace was like good throughout all of that. Um. Yeah, my headspace was, was good at all that. So I knew that I've, I've grown as a person and developed and and the, the things that I'm preaching are, are working. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Because I'm that, 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 <laughs> I remember I taught, I did a grade three tear of my groin. So one of the ligaments come off the bone and I was like, oh no. But it was, I got through it okay. I trained still, but not the same. But, you know, they're, they're just learnings, you know, in life. And, yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love people that go through hell mm. and, use that experience to help other people because mm. you can go one of two ways you can just keep going down like your self-destructive yeah. way or you can be like right this can help someone else yeah and it's like going to like a rugby coach and you know your coach never played rugby before like are you really gonna take him that seriously yeah it's the same like with, with coaching like coaching people when you do like stuff with um controlling your emotions and mm. everything like that like are you really gonna go to someone who's like the perfect person mm. who never feels any of that. Yeah. You got you 100%. Like, and I've had so many people go to me like, you know, they want to get into that space or they, they want to do it, but they're like, oh, they feel like they don't know enough. And I'm like, well, you don't teach them what you don't know. You Like, if you've experienced this, you've gone through this and you've come out the other end and you've learned and you feel like you could share that to someone else, 
Like, it's actually rude not to share that journey to someone else because they might be stuck in that hole. But if you have a message that could change the way they think or the act and speak and the way they, they look at themselves, then, like, you should definitely give that message to yeah. that person. Educate yourself on it. Invest in yourself. And that's the biggest one that not many people are going to do is an investment in yourself. Like, invest in, in your knowledge. Like, an exchange in value is an exchange in, 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 in money, as they say. But... Like you've got to invest in yourself in this game. And that was a hard concept because sometimes, um, you know, you'd invest on a night out, you'd invest on a flash car that's going to put you in debt or you'd invest in a mortgage which is 40 years, 30 years, whatever. But investing in your, in your, what you love. Yeah. No, no, I, I shouldn't need to invest in it because I love it. And I was like, no, you need to develop that. Um, I was going to go somewhere with that then though, regarding the, the, the people in, in that stage of their life it's like it's i suppose it's just what do you want out what do you want out of life too though yeah i used to be like massively obsessed with chasing money like yeah one of the reasons i got into to to owning the business was money it mm. was one of the driving factors as well like it was a dream to have that but money was a big factor pushing that along yeah. and you would have said to me like oh you know invest in this this and this you get more money i'm like yeah cool no worries but invest in yourself oh no 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 i'd mm. rather spend the money investing into like a stock yeah now i'd rather spend 10 grand investing in myself than putting it into like crypto stock yeah. whatever it is because i know that it's gonna i have control over what is what happens with that <laughs> and it's it's great like reading books every day mm. going out running like doing physical exercise mm. like it's all investing in yourself yeah and then you can just take that and give it to someone else 100 percent. and but so this is the catchment i think of this and it's a double-ended sword though when we talk about like self-development right and i've got to be careful how i say this because i think it might upset certain people and like we've got you know we're in this craze of trauma trauma is the, the the talk at the moment and there's a lot of trauma out there but like um and there's a lot of people that go, oh, you know, I can't do, because I, I experienced this. And I, again, I have to be careful. I says, because I've experienced this or th that, or oh, my parents treated me this way, now I'm stuck. And they've put this victim card out. And it's a fine line all for me where it's like, put yourself in their shoes and I want you to find out what their childhood was like. If your mum or dad was 60 onwards, like there's a high chance that they had a really shit childhood that their parents are, you know, in a different generation to what we are right now. And and sometimes it's not like all about this, you know, F them or this, that and the other, I can't do this because of them. It's like, you know what, you know, work on yourself, but like learn to forgive, yeah. like learn to forgive. Maybe you're not going to get the answers that you want out of this this trauma talk that's about at the moment. But maybe it's learning to forgive yourself and maybe learning that, well, the version of myself has to forgive to go where I need to go. Or if you're going to be a, a father one day or a mother one day, like, let's stop that happening now so I don't pass it on to the next people. You know, it's just, um, and again, I want to be careful I say that because there is some people who, are, who have had some really sick shit happen to them. But I mean, when it's this minor thing, like for instance, you didn't get the fucking McDonald's as a kid. So now you got trauma. It's like, come on, mate. Like, that's not, like you didn't. And it's like, I'm more forward thinking though. I'm more like, we want to get there. Let's get there. Like, what's stopping us get there? What's the blockage getting us there? Only thing that does looking in your past is fuck your neck up. 
So it's like that fine line between the two, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. and I, like I said, yeah, I'm just aware of that. I don't know what your thoughts are on, on it all, but... Yeah, there's... um Again, I actually mentioned this book in um, the previous episode uh, we shot, and it's called Mindset by Dr. Carol S. Dweck. And she goes on about the growth mindset mm. and the fixed mindset mm. and how the fixed mindset, you know, this is what I've been dealt. Yeah. I can't change it. Oh, I'm dumb. I'm always going to be dumb. Yeah. Or like I got abused, so this yeah. is me now. Yeah. And the growth mindset is this is what I've been dealt, but I can improve it. Mm. And it's 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 not like playing that victim card where, yeah. where you're like, right, this is me. This is my life. Like yeah. this is where I am. Again, going back to like being in the box. Yeah, yeah. You can learn. Like you may be dumb now, but you can learn. It's, it's not like yeah. it's, it's your IQ and like your knowledge is not set no. right there and then when you're born, you get your yeah. stats. You're like, right, this is you now. Like you can learn. You Like how do you think you become like in a trade? You yeah. learn the trade. You don't just like instantly come out and be like, right, I am the perfect bricklayer. You, yeah. you go and learn and you learn on the job. And a lot of people are stuck in the fixed mindset. And yeah. I think the way the schools are run, it's a lot of fixed mindset. Like yeah. you're not so good true. at this. Well, you're gonna suck in life. It's it's so so true. We just said then. I, I want to remember how I, I'm gonna say this now. But like, bet the first day you started being a tree surgeon, man, you weren't like bang, bang, bang. You were killing it. I bet the first day you you fucked the chain up, or you didn't. You know, you made a mistake here and there, and the older boys give you shit. And like you learn from that though. You can't just walk on on the job and be like, I've got it all. There is people who are naturally gifted though, like sports, and they just click. They get it. Um, but we talk about growth and fixed mindset. So I want to tell you this story. So when I was in Australia, after the th third knee reconstruction, I was super depressed and I got into um, a demolition job, removing asbestos, it was a shit job, but I did it and it paid, paid well at the time. And we got offered to go to a place called Nauru. It's a refugee island, asylum seeking island just to the right of Papua New Guinea. So you got Australia, Papua New Guinea and this little island you could drive in 30 minutes. And they said, look, there's a power plant over there. You can go on that island for a week or two and move the sheets and, you know, go away and get, get paid a bit more money. I was like, I think I was 25, like playing the victim card hardcore at that stage. Said, okay, I'll go out. So we all went out there and we had the, we could have the choice of having like local Nauru people come like labor on the job site with us. So we would be on the roof. We'd be passing the sheets down to them. They would rock up late and they would probably only last an hour and they go, screw this job. We're in a mask and suit all day and stinking hot tropical weather. And like, you'd lose, you're losing loads of weight, like kilos and kilos every day. And they would leave. So what they did then, they started asking the, the, the asylum seekers, they said, there'd be like these porter cabins in the middle of the island. So if there's ever like a tsunami or whatever come in, they'd all get to the middle of the island. And they said to us, um, yeah, we're going to ask them because we've got no one else to ask on the island. So there was this guy come over right from, from Bangladesh and he came in and his name was Saji. And this guy is another guy bef before I met the pastor that changed my life. And he come on site and he was so bubbly. He was so happy. And I was like, what's he doing? He lives here. Why is he so happy for? Anyway, he's like, boys, would anyone like any tea, coffee, water? Every morning he was on the dock. And I was like, Wow. I like this guy's like, all right, you're, you're buddying up with me. <laughs> so every day then we were on this roof and I was passing them down to him. Then on our breaks, we'd share food together. Um, and he just, it was just a good energy to be around. 
So any, any day, anyway, we had this one day, it was like a tropical storm hit that day. So we couldn't work. So, and he had one set of clothes. So we took him to our apartment, which we weren't allowed to do. And I just gave him loads of clothes because he was literally wearing his clothes, drying them that night and wearing them the day after. So the day after then, no, yeah, the day after then I was walking on site and I just see him there sitting on the side of the road with his eyes closed, cross leg. I was like, what's he doing? Like, I didn't know what he was doing at the time. And anyway, didn't interrupt him. And we got onto the job site and I said, oh, Saji, what were you doing then? And he's like, I'm meditating. I go, why'd you meditate? And he goes, oh, well, the reason why I meditate, I'll explain to you first. He goes, four years ago in Bangladesh, we had our village shot up by these people. They come through and just shot up the village. And he said, I see my mum and dad get shot in front of me. And he goes, my wife is in the village somewhere. And they pointed the gun to me and they said, you either leave now or we're going to shoot you. So he just ran, ran, got on a ship and was going over to Australia and Melbourne. And the offshore police of Australia caught their boat, detoured and took it to Nauru. So four years he's in that country from Bangladesh. And I'm, and I'm like, bawling my eyes out looking at this guy and there I was playing the victim card in my situation my knees I can't play rugby anymore and he said so the reason why I meditate Ollie is because I can't change my past I can't stress about my future I can only be where I am right now where my feet are so he said I better find some happiness and joy in every day of life otherwise it's going to be a miserable life and there I just like hugged him cried and then he started, I started to meditate with him. And going back to this trauma situation, he still hasn't, his, that, this would have been five, over five years ago now, but he has. He hadn't seen his wife is still alive, hopefully in that village. And then there's like this other aspect I'm on about now with trauma and stuff. It's like, we've got to learn to somehow find peace in all of this mess. Because if you don't find peace in all the mess, it's going to screw you up. But he, 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 that guy changed my life, like changed my life, my whole perception on what is hard doing and what's, what's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Again, you needed it. Like, yeah. it sounds like you needed it. Oh, a hundred percent, man. A hundred percent of that stage. It was just, you know, didn't want to be changed, but I was just, I didn't want to be changed, but I wanted to hear you to hear my, my problems, yeah, yeah. you know, those people, they just vent, but they don't want to change. It's like, come to me when you're ready to change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the moaners. That's mm. what I like to call them, the moaners. Debbie Downers. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think to wrap up, because it's been an hour, it's been quick. Jeez. Sorry, man. Oh, you're all good. You're all good. You're off to Tenerife next, so yeah, enjoying, yeah. enjoying the sun. What is your dream now? Like, what's the dream? My dream now, I'd love to just keep building, keep building this community I've got right now and keep impacting people's lives and impacting my own life, but doing it from a place of doing it from doing not to like to be like a pleaser or to do it for you doing it because I I just love doing it. Yeah. I'd love to think that I'm, I'd love to think at a stage, I'd love to do a Ted talk maybe or something like that. Um, but man, honestly, is this whatever cool shit I like to do? I just want to go follow that and everything else comes with that for me. Like just, things seem to be happening when I'm following what's cool yeah. for me, what makes me excited. So that's probably what I would do. What about you? To keep going the way I am. Yeah. Not like stuck, like stagnate, just keep going, like doing what I'm doing, showing up every single day mm -hmm. and building something. I have a dream of becoming a um, one of the top motivational speakers in the UK. Nice. And I see myself going all over the world, speaking to hundreds, if not thousands of people and mm -hmm. changing people's lives for better. 
Amazing, man. I love that. That, that is it. Have you thought about, sorry to just cut you there, but have you thought about like just even in this tree surgeon industry, like I'd say like there's probably a lot of blokey bloke men in that area that probably don't uh, share as much as probably yourself. Have you ever thought about sharing to them as well? Um, I do it through my social media. Cool. So I, I post it through and, nice. and, and quite a few of them follow us. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Amazing, mate. Yeah. Well, keep up the good work, mate. I love thank what you're doing. Thank you very much. And thank you for coming on. Thanks all.